thing. Before we start today, will you pray with me really quickly? Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for Pioneer Bible Translators. And thank you for the work that they are doing across the world. Thank you for Andy and Shauna and their family. And God, I pray that hearing the impact that your word is having in Tanzania and hearing their story and seeing a little bit of what it is that they do through Pioneer, I pray that it will only encourage us to be more giving financially to their mission uh, and to be more giving of our prayers uh, to their mission. And God, we so often take for granted the fact that we have so many Bibles just laying around. And God, I can't imagine what it would be like following your son without scripture as a guide. And so I pray that we will always remember uh, the huge importance that translating scripture to these people in Tanzania means. And that is worthy of our prayers, it's worthy of our giving, and thank you for Andy and Shauna. We love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're glad that you have chosen to worship with us here this morning at Prairie View Christian Church, and it is Kid City Sunday, so if you thought the worship was a little bit louder than normal, that's a good thing. Or if the chair is a little bit more crowded than normal, that too is a good thing. So kids, we are glad that you are in here. Um, I thought about doing like a 15-minute sermon, just for your sake, uh, but then I thought, uh, who am I kidding? I'm not going to preach for 15 minutes. Uh, it's not going to be, it's going to be longer. I'm sorry, but... Anyway, so we're glad that you're here. Uh, We're glad that you're a part of the service here this morning. Now, where we are today is we are in week five of our six-week series going through the book of Psalms, looking at one different psalm per week, one different genre of psalm per week. And the first week, we looked at wisdom. The second week, we looked at lament. The third week, we looked at thanksgiving. And then last week, we looked at confidence. And the psalm that we're going to be in today is called a psalm of remembrance, a psalm of remembrance. Now, what exactly is a psalm of remembrance? Well, basically, it's exactly what it says it is. It's a psalm encouraging the Israelites, encouraging those who are praying it or singing it to remember something, to specifically remember what God has done for them in the past. So that's where we're going to be today, week five of our six-week series. But being that we do have only one week left of psalms, I did want to tell you a little bit up front that next sermon series we're going to be doing starting on August 18th is going to be a seven-week series through the book of James. So if you're a fan of the book of James, be here August 18th. It's one of the most challenging and convicting books in all of scripture. Uh, The book of James challenges and, and convicts us to live out our faith in ways that we never maybe even imagined before. So we hope that you'll be here with us on August 18th for that sermon series. Now, We are in Psalm 136 today, specifically. So if you have a Bible with you, open up with me to Psalm 136. Now, the idea of remembrance. As I was preparing for this sermon, I thought about that old cliche that you see in movies sometimes about how you'll have a small town kid who is tired of living in this tiny town. And the kid says, you know what? One of these days I'm going to get out of this town and I'm just going to make something of myself. And I'm not going to let this small town hold me. I'm going to be, have my name in the, st- in the lights. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be a star athlete. And I'm never coming back to this little tiny armpit of a town. And then, in those movies, you always have that one older person, wiser person, who will go to them before they leave, and they'll say something along the lines of, Now, son, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your roots. 
And that's the whole idea of remembrance. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your roots. Stay humble. Remember what it is that shaped you. Remember the people and the things that shaped you at a young age that helped you become the person you became. And the thing is, so often we forget where we came from. Athletes forget where they came from sometimes because they get so wealthy and so successful that they get arrogant. Same with movie stars or even other people like us. Maybe they're not athletes or movie stars. People like us, we forget where we came from. And sometimes we get a little bit arrogant. And we take for granted the things that shaped us when we were younger. We forget our roots. And the whole idea of Psalm 136 is don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your roots. Stay humble. Because so often, whether we realize it or not, we are tempted to forget God. It usually doesn't happen overnight. It usually takes time. But certain things happen in life. Stresses come. Worries come. Priorities change. Circumstances change. And all of a sudden, we're thinking about God a little bit less. And then all of a sudden, we're praying a little bit less. Then all of a sudden, we're reading scripture a little bit less. And then we're worshiping with other believers a little bit less. And before you know it, our relationship with God doesn't even seem to be there. It seems as though we've forgotten him. And the psalm of remembrance tells us to refuse to do that, to actively refuse to forget God. Don't forget what he's done for you. So starting in Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now this is a unique psalm compared to all the other psalms that we've looked at so far. Because this is a psalm that would have been used as a responsive reading. If you've been in older churches, uh, you may have done this before. You'll have one person who reads part of Scripture, and then the crowd will read the rest of it. So, for example, in this passage or in this psalm, I would read, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then you all would say, For his steadfast love endures forever. I thought about having us do that throughout the entire psalm, but then I remembered that would have us do that like 26 times. Uh, So that's the only time I'm going to ask you to do the responsive reading part. So that's how this psalm would have been used. And as Joshua mentioned, there are other times in Scripture where we think this psalm was probably used. Ezra chapter 3, when they rebuild the temple, they say that there is a responsive reading, that people are praising as this temple foundation is dedicated. And they say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the reason I mention this is because I just think it's neat to hear that we are reading a psalm, that we are reading scripture, worshiping in a way, praying a prayer that Israelites thousands of years ago were praying. And here we are in 2013 in Fishers, Indiana, doing the same thing with this Psalm 136. Now you'll notice in verse 2 that there is this phrase, give thanks to the God of gods. And then in the following verse, there's a phrase very similar to it, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Now, you won't be able to see it up here on the screen because they use all caps so that you can read it a little bit easier. But if you're reading in a Bible, in that phrase, God of God, you'll notice the first God is capitalized. 
And the second God is lowercase. Same with Lord of Lords. First Lord is capitalized. Second Lord is lowercase. Now, even though we might be tempted to read this just as an introduction, that's a pretty huge statement right there. God of gods and Lord of lords. The idea here is that the psalmist is saying something very, very strong about God. And that's the fact that he is above every other God. No God can stand next to the God of Israel. None of these lowercase gods. And the truth is that when you really think about it, when you see the real God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you quickly discover that those other gods really aren't gods at all. There's only one of them. There's only one God, this God that the psalmist is worshiping. And that would have been a huge deal in that culture because it was totally unheard of to only worship one God. In that culture, you worshiped multiple gods for all kinds of different things. If you and your spouse wanted to have a baby, you prayed to one God and made an offering to one God. If you wanted your crops to flourish, you made an offering to a different God. If you wanted your nation's military to win a battle, then you made an offering to that God over there. And these gods were often rude and angry, and people would have to do anything they could just to appease them. They were viewed as though any time I did anything wrong, this God is going to throw a lightning bolt down at me. And this God of Israel is different. When you see this God, you realize that the other gods aren't gods at all. There's only one God. And it's become popular these days to say that, yes, there are many gods who all lead to the same path. That simply is not true. There is one God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was, this, it was the case in Psalm 136, and that is the case today. He is the only God, the only God worthy of praise, the only God worthy of remembrance. And the psalmist is going to give us a few reasons why this God is so different, why this God is so much better, why this is really the only God that exists. And the first reason starts out in verse 4. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever forever. The first reason the psalmist gives as to why this God is worthy of praise, why this God is worthy of remembrance, is the fact that he is the creator. And all the other gods, they can't do that. They didn't do that. In fact, all those other gods, they were created out of rock or wood or metal. They were fashioned by human hands. This God of Israel that the psalmist is writing about, he wasn't created by anyone or anything. He is eternal. He has always been. And the only reason that anything you and I see around us is there is because he willed it into existence. The psalmist covers the whole gamut. He says the heavens, the earth, the waters, the sun, the moon, the stars. 
In Genesis, we read plants and animals and people. Anything and everything you see, God created it. It's only there because God started it all. He is the source of everything. And his creation testifies to it. And his love endures forever. And what we quickly realize is that those other gods, they were created by human hands. They can't create anything. Only the God of Israel can create. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, we read that when God creates everything, he steps back and he looks at it and he says, it is very good. The other gods can't make that claim. Only this God can. That's reason number one, that this God is worthy of remembrance. And reason number two starts in verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now this is the part where we really, really dive into the idea of remembrance. Because the psalmist is reminding the Israelites, he's reminding God's people not to forget what he did for them. Not to forget what he did for their forefathers. Not to take for granted the reason that they are who they are. Don't forget where you came from, the psalmist is saying right here. And he recalls the story of slavery in Egypt. Jacob, one of the descendants of Abraham... Jacob ends up in Egypt, and he has good standing with all the Egyptian nobility. But then Jacob dies, and the Pharaoh who loved Jacob dies. And all of a sudden, a new Pharaoh comes up. And this Pharaoh says, you know what? We've got these foreigners living here, and I really don't know anything about them. Let's make the best of this. Let's bring these guys into slavery. Let's somehow see what we can get out of this. So, Jacob's family, Abraham's offspring are cast into slavery. And for hundreds of years, they're toiling under this Egyptian oppression. They're toiling in these chains of slavery, having to do the dirty work that none of the other Egyptians wanted to do. And over time, some of them begin to forget God. But then some of them cry out. And they say, God, we know that this is not where we are going to be ultimately. We know that this is not going to last and that you are going to deliver us. And that does happen eventually. A baby named Moses is born. And he's an Israelite baby, but he's raised in Egyptian nobility because of some crazy circumstances. So he's raised an Egyptian. But then one day as he gets older, he sees an Egyptian slave driver beating up an Israelite. So Moses beats up the Egyptian slave driver. In fact, he kills him, buries him in the sand. And when he does this, he knows that he can't show his face around Egypt again or else he'll be punished. So he flees. He vows to never return to Egypt, to move on with his life, to start anew. But God had other plans. So God encounters Moses. And he tells Moses that you're going to be the person 
who's going to go back to Egypt. You're going to be the person, along with your brother Aaron, you're going to go back and you're going to free my people, the people that you originally came from. And Moses doubts. Moses isn't really so sure about all this, but eventually he gives in. He says, okay, God, I'll go. I'll free these people. I'll do what you tell me to do. And God promises that he will be with him all the way, that he will have signs accompany him to help him out as he goes. So Moses returns. He goes back to Egypt and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, nope, not going to happen. And really, you can't blame Pharaoh because, I mean, think about the impact that would have had. You can't just let thousands of people go from your workforce. Think about the economic impact. Think about all the uncompleted projects that would just be standing there with no one to finish them. Talk about egg on your face if you're Pharaoh. So Pharaoh says, no, we're not going to let these people go. Okay, says Moses, plague after plague after plague. God sends these signs to try and convince Pharaoh that maybe it's time to let them go. Maybe it's time that these Israelites should just be out of here. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he refuses to give in. He refuses to let the people go. But then there's one plague in particular that changes everything. The tenth plague. The tenth plague happens where all the firstborn children in Egypt will be killed. Unless you do what God says. And that is to take a spotless lamb, sacrifice the lamb, paint the blood on your doorpost. And if you have that sign, then your firstborn won't die. Some people do it, and they're spared. But then a lot of people don't. And that's all it takes to push Pharaoh over the edge. And he says, you know what? Fine. Just get out of here. Get out of Egypt. Leave us alone. You've been enough of a headache. It's just not worth it for all the work you're doing. Go. Worship God however you want to worship God. Just get out of our hair. So they leave. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Pharaoh changes his mind. His heart is hardened. And he has second thoughts about letting his entire workforce roam free. So he decides to pursue them. Meanwhile, the Israelites are backed up against the Red Sea. They've made it a little ways. They don't really know how they're going to cross the Red Sea. They don't really know how they're going to go around it. And all of a sudden, they hear horses off in the distance. They hear yelling. They hear chariots rolling. And they know that something's about to happen. Pick up in verse 21 of Exodus 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. And made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces 
and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians, against us. These Egyptians charge the Israelites. And when they see the incredible thing that happens, that the Red Sea parts, a lot of them are saying, okay, guys, I don't think we're going to win this battle. Let's back up, because clearly God is fighting for them, and we don't stand a chance. But orders are orders. So they move on. Verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw them into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand, and on their left. This is the deliverance that God grants. The psalmist is reminding the Israelites that he's not just creator, but he's also deliverer. Don't forget that he delivered you from Egypt. And we read that and we think, well, how could you forget that? How could you forget the parting of the Red Sea? Tell you what, if I was an Israelite and I saw that happen, I sure wouldn't forget God. My faith would be stronger than ever. And yet... The Israelites go into the wilderness. They've been delivered. But what comes next? They have nowhere to go. How are they going to survive in this wilderness? Some of them begin to forget God right then and there. Just days or weeks after seeing the Red Sea parted. How could they possibly forget that? How could they possibly forget the deliverance that God gave them? Well... We're more like the Israelites than we might realize at times. Because the deliverance that God has given us is greater than the parting of the Red Sea. It's more impressive than the parting of the Red Sea because God didn't just deliver us from Egypt. God didn't just deliver us from slavery, but God delivers us from sin itself. And yet, what do we do sometimes? We fall back into it. We fall back into sin. We develop those old habits again. We are more like the Israelites than we might realize. Our story is their story. He delivers us from slavery of sin. Have you believed that? Have you believed that God can deliver you from the slavery of sin? Have you been delivered by God? Because the opportunity is there. He's asking you to be a part of that. Have you done it? Have you been delivered from Egypt? Your Egypt. Your Egypt may be different than other people's Egypt. Your Egypt could be alcoholism, could be adultery, could be lying, could be anything. There may be one specific Egypt that comes to your mind. But really, we're all in the same Egypt when it comes to sin. Have you been delivered? Verse 17, the third reason why this God is worthy of remembrance. The third reason why we shouldn't forget where we came from. 
to him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. After the Israelites fled Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea. They're wandering in the wilderness. There are some difficult times, but many of them look back to a promise made far before they were ever around. A promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, their forefather, where God tells Abraham that, you know what? If you follow me, I'm going to make your offspring into a great nation. And your offspring is going to outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And all the world will be blessed through your offspring. And Abraham says, well... Okay, I'll follow you. And yet it seemed as though at times that promise was wavering. It seemed as though that promise might not work out after all, that maybe God was going to fail. But guess what? He didn't. He hasn't. And he won't. Because even when they're wandering in the wilderness, even when they're homeless nomads, God's plan is still at work. He's creator. He's deliverer. And he's promise keeper because as they are wandering through the wilderness, as they are encountering these hostile nations, God delivers them again and again and again. And they are given into this promised land. Moses never sees it, but Joshua does. The one who comes after Moses, God's promises do not fail. And the psalmist is saying, don't forget the promises that he kept. Don't forget that when you thought he was going to fail, when you thought God wasn't going to come through, guess what? He did. He kept his promise. Don't forget it. Closing out the psalm, verse 23. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever. Rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. The idea of remembering your story, not forgetting where you came from, sometimes it's hard. But if there is one person who got it, if there is one person who never forgot where he came from, it was the Apostle Paul. In the New Testament, Paul repeatedly reminds people Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your roots. In Ephesians 2, he says, don't forget that you were once dead, but now you're alive because of Christ, because of God's grace. In Colossians 1, he says, don't forget that you were once alienated from God, but now you have a relationship with him through his grace, through Christ. In Romans 6, he goes even farther maybe evoking imagery of being slaves in Egypt. And he says, don't forget that you were slaves to sin, but now you're slaves to righteousness. Don't forget where you came from. But Paul's not just content with telling other people not to forget where they came from. Paul is the first person willing to share where he came from. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17 
we read Paul's story. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul reminds people, don't forget where he came from. And Paul's not shy to tell other people where he came from. He remembers what he was before he met Christ. He remembers what it was like. And Paul doesn't walk around sulking about who he was before. He doesn't walk around in this permanent state of guilt and regret, never allowing God to give him a future. No. Paul looks ahead and he says, you know what? Yeah, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent opponent, but look at who I am now. I don't forget where I came from. And it's important that you and I, as followers of Christ, that we don't forget where we came from. Because we're a lot like Paul. We may not have some miraculous conversion story the way Paul did. We may not have met Jesus on a road and been knocked off our horse and gone blind for three days. But guess what? Any story where someone who is dead in sin is then made alive through Christ is an amazing story. You may not have some dramatic story about how, well, I was a drug addict and a murderer and I did all these terrible things, but now I'm a follower of Christ. Your story, you may not think it's that interesting. You may think, you know what, I grew up in church. I never really did anything that bad. I never did anything that flashy. My story is just not that interesting. Any story where someone who is dead to sin comes alive through Christ is an amazing story. And it's a story worth sharing. And it's a story worth remembering. Paul remembers his story, but he doesn't sulk about it. He gives God the glory for what he was before and what he is now in comparison to it. Don't forget your story. Don't be scared to tell people your story. Because your story can have a bigger impact than you realize. Don't underestimate it. And on top of that, don't be scared to share it, but remember it for your own good. Because it will keep you humble. As a follower of Christ, if you've been around the block a few times, if you're a seasoned veteran at this whole Christianity thing, you may be tempted at times to look at other people who aren't followers of Christ and say, man, I cannot believe they're doing that. I cannot believe they would sink to that level. Mm, that's terrible, disgusting. But then if you remember your story, you remember that, you know what? Not too long ago, that was me. I remember what that's like. I know the emptiness that they're feeling. And I'm not above admitting that that was me, that their story is my story. Don't underestimate your story and don't forget it. Don't sulk around about it. But at the same time, Share it, because it can have a huge impact. Don't forget your roots. Don't forget where you came from. 
Remember what God has done for you. Remember how he delivered you. Remember his power, his love, his mercy, his justice. Remember all of these things. And remember that his love endures forever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the story of Israel, the story of your people, that really is is more our story than we realize at times. And God, I pray that we will remember what it is that you've done for us. God, those of us who are followers of Christ here, we were dead, but you've made us alive. We were alienated from you, but you've reconciled us to you. We were slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. And God, I pray that we will never forget that, that we will never lose that humility, that we'll never be too good to share our story. God, I pray for those who are here who have not come to know you, those who have not been delivered from sin, those who are still dead in sin, those who are still alienated from you, those who are still slaves to sin, God, I pray those people will come to know you. I pray that those people will never forget the day they come to know you. Keep us humble, Lord. I pray that we'll give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. The reason we are who we are today, those of us who know Christ, isn't because of anything we've done. It's not because of some self-help improvements that we've made, but God, it's only because you've shown us grace. I pray that we'll remember that, and I pray that we'll share it. We love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.